Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages? Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. My name is Grant, and it is delightful, wonderful, beautiful to have you here. Just all the adjectives I can come up with off the top of my head. Nonetheless, glad you're here. Got a great, great show for you today. Hey, before we get into it, let me mention this. I know a lot of people have been asking me questions about speaking. This is something that many of you know that I do. This is something I've been doing pretty much full-time for the past about seven, eight years or so. Actually, go if you want to go all the way back to episode 1001 of this podcast, I share my story about how I got into speaking. And so as a speaker, I get a lot of questions about that. So we created a free email course called Get Started as a Speaker. Get Started as a Speaker. It's a totally free email course. But if you would like, you are more than welcome to stop by the website bookedandpaidtospeak.com. Again, that's bookedandpaidtospeak.com. And you can get that free email course. It's nine emails sent to you over the course of about two and a half weeks. So check that out. Again, totally free, bookedandpaidtospeak.com. All right, today we have a great guest for you. Whenever I first heard about this gal's story, I was like, you do what? This is interesting, fascinating, creative, all of the above. And it comes from the DIY niche and space and industry. But today we're going to be talking with Curie Masters, who has created a very successful business selling a unique DIY product. I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about it in just a second. But just to tease you a little bit with it. She runs the blog and the website, ilikethatlamp.com. Ilikethatlamp.com, really cool site where she sells some really unique stuff. So really great stuff here about how she got into this, of what it is that she's making and selling, and then how she transitioned, leaving her full-time job in the commercial banking industry and starting to do this full-time. And then also, if you are interested in the DIY stuff, which I know many of you are, you've reached out, you've told me, I've listened, then you want to download the bonus material for this episode. You can go to Grant com slash podcast. You can go to this specific show notes page, or if you're listening to this on your phone or mobile device, within the show notes there, there's going to be a link at the top of the page where you can click and download the bonus material where Kiri and I, we stick around for a few extra minutes and we talk about some specific strategies and tactics that DIY business owners, entrepreneurs, even if you're just playing with a project of how you can begin to sell it to other people and some advice that she would share, some lessons she has learned. So make sure you download that. Again, totally free. You can find that at grantbaldwin.com slash podcast. All right, let's get right into it. Here's my chit-chat, my conversation with Curie Masters. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Curie Masters, who has a unique business, to say the least. Whenever I was first introduced to her and her story, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa you do what? That is bizarre and crazy and interesting and fascinating all at the same time. So, First of all, welcome and tell us what is it that you do? Thank you so much. Yeah. So I started a website called I Like That Lamp. And the website is all about teaching people how to make their own lamps and lampshades. So it's really for the DIY crowd that's interested in making their own home decor items rather than necessarily going into a store and getting something off the shelf. But why lamps? Like that just seems like such a random items you know everybody has them they're around people's houses and offices and apartments and places but like like of all the things you could teach people to make why lamps that's a great question so it came out of my own personal frustration with finding lighting for my own apartment when I was decorating it so 
with lighting, it just seemed like one of those things where everything that was in the store was outside of my budget that I really liked. And then the really basic stuff, which was kind of bland and impersonal. So being someone that likes to do DIY activities myself, I just decided to make my own lamps and lighting fixtures. And I realized that it wasn't really that difficult, the actual process of putting everything together, but sourcing the materials and figuring out how everything was going to fit together and what size I needed of this and how much I needed of that, that was very complex. And that was the sourcing component of it was difficult. So I figured that there was other people out there who wanted to do the same thing as me, even though, as you said, it's a very specific kind of project. So I assembled all of the materials that you needed to create a lampshade initially and put it together as a kit that people could buy and took the hard work out of measuring and sourcing materials for people. So, yeah, it is something that's very specific, but people have vintage lamps, for example, so those beautiful mid-century style lamps that really need a tall, narrow shade to... Mm -hmm fit with the aesthetic of the lamp, need something very specific and in a very specific size and they can't find that in the store. And so if they have a creative bone in their body, <laughs> they're ready to make their own using their own fabric. I just can't wrap my mind around like, it's one thing to see something and be like, I can't find the right type of lamp, but mm -hmm. to then be like, ah, I'll, just, I'll just make my own. Like, <laughs> that's just crazy to me. Because a lamp is something that there's the design piece to it. There's the, you know, like you said, the fabric piece, the base, the hardware, the electric components that go into it. Like, it just seems like there's, you have to have like an engineering degree to be able to make <laughs> or assemble a lamp. But obviously, you've kind of deconstructed it and made it a pretty simple process. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the point is that it's really not very difficult to do. And all lamps are essentially the same. They have the exact same components. So once you kind of understand how everything fits together, it's pretty simple. And I guess the majority of people, they're happy to pick something up off the shelf. But if you have something really specific that you're after that's going to fit in with your home decor or you want it to specifically match your drapes or something like that, that's who it's geared towards is those people that want a really personalized fixture. I know you mentioned you're looking for decor for your own place and you just can't find it. So like, what was the, pardon the pun here, but the light bulb moment for you when you were just like, I'll just make my own. Like, how did that kind of come to be? So I'm from Australia, uh, which has a... Which we all appreciate your accent right now. <laughs> and coming to the U.S., the U.S. is by far and away the most craft crazy country on the planet. People are into crafts. It's just a thing. We appreciate and that. <laughs> so it was very surprising to me to find that there wasn't an existing kit on the market to do this one thing. And I found that there was a company actually in the UK that had lampshade kit product. And it's a little bit different to the one that I ended up creating. But I reached out to them when I was experimenting myself and I requested to become a distributor in the US. At that time, they didn't have any US distributors. And they said, thanks, but we already, we've got plans underway to do this ourselves. So at that point, that was when I thought, okay, well, I'm going to just do it myself. So I'm going to use the same concept and come up with my own kit that is, uses a different assembly technique and just get started myself. 
But why would you decide to go that route instead of just being like, well, it, you know, it doesn't exist. So, oh, well, I'll just have to find something at Target or wherever. So because you, like, you got to be at a pretty frustrated place to feel like I'll just do it myself. I'll just make my own because yeah. like there's some things that bother you, but they don't bother you enough to like come up with your own solution from scratch, you know? So yeah. what was it about a lamp? Like of all things, like it could have been a rug, it could have been a cup, it could have been anything. You're like, I'm just going to make, dang it, I'm going to make my own rug. But oh, why, sure, like yeah. why, a, why a lamp? Why is it that big a deal? Well, to be fair, I did make a lot of other home decor items myself. Okay, all well. right. So, so this wasn't like your first project where you're just oh, like, no, I'm just going to yeah. wing it. Okay. This happened to be a project which was just more frustrating to buy the materials than other projects. And there was just less information online about how to do it. So with a lot of, I mean, just with DIY and handmade movement now, I don't believe that people necessarily want to DIY their own home decor or fashion or jewelry because it's necessarily cheaper. People are increasingly turning to DIY and handmade as an activity to kind of reconnect with the physical world. And we spend so much time online and so much of our lives is digital right now. A lot of people and especially younger people are actually turning back kind of what you might consider old-fashioned hobbies like canning and craft beer and knitting and it's becoming cool to have your own handmade items and to be able to turn around and someone walks into your home and says, I like that lamp and you can say, I made that. And it's something that you're proud of and it's something that isn't necessarily you have to make it because you're at your wits end and can't find anything in the store, a lot of people actually, it's their first choice that they see something that they like or they want in their home and they say, I want to make that myself. I want to put my own personal stamp on it. And so what I'm getting from you is that that's not the way that you're wired necessarily, but there is a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a big population of people who just love to make things with their hands and they love to figure out, how can I make this myself? How can I make it my way? So um, I think that's probably a fair assessment. So <laughs> I am more the type of, well, just go buy a dang lamp. You know, it's not right, a big, exactly. but, but my wife, my mother, my sister are more along the lines of, well, it'd be kind of cool to make your own. So I could see that they could totally get into this. But yeah. I guess what I like though is that, so this isn't like your first DIY craft or, or project. It's like you've yeah. dabbled with this. So it's not necessarily like I'm starting completely from scratch. It's like, I don't know, let's take on a new challenge. Like let's, I've done enough of these. So let's try this. So whenever you first started kind of uh, sourcing and creating your own lamp, did you feel like I'm just doing this for myself? Or do you feel like in the back of your mind, like maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a business here. Maybe I could do this for other people. Maybe other people are looking to create their own lamps. Did you feel like there was something that might be there? Yeah, definitely. So I had entrepreneurial aspirations for a couple of years prior to that. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts like yours about starting your own thing and having a side business and growing it. So it was always in the back of my head to be looking out for an opportunity which wasn't being met in the marketplace. And so, yeah, the little projects that I did here and there for my own benefit mostly, I did usually have in the back of my head looking for an opportunity like this. And so when I came across making your own lamps and lampshades and found that there wasn't a lot of information out there and there wasn't an easy way to source materials and coupled that with the knowledge that there was a company in another location that was doing pretty well from selling the same kind of kit 
that was when the light bulb moment clicked on for me that there was a market, there were people like me out there and there wasn't something that was providing a solution for them. So how would you know that there are people out there like you? Because it's, again, it's just kind of this random, unique thing. So what made you feel like you knew people are interested in DIY, but Mm -hmm. what makes you know that people are interested in like DIY lamps? Because I think there's plenty of people out there that maybe listen to this going like, okay, I've got this unique passion or skill or talent. And I know I'm really interested in it. And it's this really unique thing. And I think other people might be interested. But at the end of the day, like, I just don't know unless I'm willing to try it. So was there any indicators that gave you some confidence? Like, I think there's other people that may be into this. Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think to some degree, you don't know, especially if there's no existing products out there and there's no competitors out there, then you might want to think, is there a reason for that? Is there a market? And so to that end, competition isn't necessarily bad. Competition can prove that something might exist. But your competition could look really great. They could look like they're really successful and also be not having much going on too. So it is kind of impossible to really tell. There are a few ways that you can figure it out though, and that is by doing some keyword research and looking on e-commerce sites like Amazon, for example, and seeing are there other are people searching for this, are people buying this similar product. So you can kind of do a little bit of exploration initially, but I'm a really strong believer in the idea of the seven-day startup. Are you familiar with that book by Dan Norris? I am, but explain it to those that are not. Sure. So the idea of the seven-day startup is that you don't know until you launch. And the idea is that you can come up with an idea and come up with a product and ask all your friends, hey, do you think this is a great idea? And they'll say yes. And you say, hey, it's going to cost this much money. Would you pay for it? People will say, sure. But you're never really able to prove a concept or prove a product until you get someone to take their credit card out of their wallet and put down the money for it. So the idea is that you don't spend so much time coming up with your idea and your product that it's taken you months and months to do. You want to put a product out there that's a minimally viable product and prove that people are willing to pay for it. So the way that I did that, on this is an extremely niche product and I was (laughs) fully aware of that. I set up a site on Etsy. I put a shop on Etsy and had a product. I think I ran some ads. Very humble beginnings. Where did you run the ads? On Etsy. Etsy itself, okay. Etsy has its own ad platform. And people started buying it. So that was what I took to be proof of that initial concept. And the product's come a long way since then. But you kind of have to prove that strangers are willing to buy your product and that could be for anything from a physical product like mine to podcast or a a book or anything really so whenever you create the etsy site like where's your head at at that point are you thinking like okay i really want this to become like an eventual full-time thing for me or is it just kind of like i don't know it's kind of fun for the weekend and let's throw this up and if one person buys it or if 100 people buy it i don't really care it's just kind of cool like what were you kind of thinking it would become Hmm, that's a good one. I think initially it was definitely a project for me. I was working full time. It was kind of an outlet for me. I was doing, I wanted to see it succeed, but it was, I didn't really put all the infrastructure into it to make it into a huge business because again, I wanted to prove that it was going to work. And I think to some degree, you don't want your 
handmade DIY business to go to completely blow up straight away because you're just not going to be able to handle it. Yeah. Over time, it moved from being a side business to a full-time thing. So now I'm working on it full-time and it's evolved during that period from being basically a hobby and my first business and one that I hope to learn from to now I'm able to think about things from a bigger and broader perspective and think about how to grow the business in ways that I would just wouldn't have had any idea to do initially. Whenever you first started the business, did you, or even just started the project, did you feel like this could become a full-time thing for you? Is that still pretty surreal to you right now? I wasn't completely sure where it would go in the beginning. And I'm glad I didn't think about it too much because I think any entrepreneur would say if they knew then what they know now about how much hard work Right. And frustration it would take, he wouldn't do it. Right. Yep. <laughs> well, I think it's a good idea just to approach it. It sounds like you almost kind of approached it as a, you know, a hobby or an experiment. And if yes. it goes somewhere, great. And if it doesn't, yeah. that's okay. It's, it's, I still have a bunch of cool lamps and I have a cool story to tell. Absolutely. So it doesn't feel like it has to put so much pressure on yourself. Like this has to become this huge thing. So while you're kind of building the business and you're kind of getting that up and going and just kind of working on this project on nights and weekends, what's your full-time thing? I was in the banking industry, so I was a strategy project manager and also a commercial banker. And you're in New York City at the time when you're doing that? Yes. Okay. Are you enjoying that? Are you looking for an escape? Are you enjoying the day job? Well, I actually left my day job in March this year. Okay. So I will say that, especially being a commercial banker, but also on the project management side, All of that experience was very helpful to running a business. And I think that for anyone that is still has a day job and is looking to start a side hustle or wants to start a business eventually, definitely look at ways that their full-time job can help them build the skills that they'll need in running their own business. So for me personally, project management and strategy is extremely important to be able to plan things out sequence things like an editorial calendar, look at how to research suppliers and things like that. And then as a commercial banker doing loans and reviewing business financial statements, that's just that's so invaluable as a business owner to understand at a very deep level what an income statement and balance sheet looks like and what a, how to tell whether your business is going to go bankrupt in the next couple of months. <laughs> it's good to know. So, I mean, those are pretty directly relevant, but I think that every day job has some things to teach you about entrepreneurship as well. And and there's definitely something to be said for that concept of, is it intrapreneurship? Is that the term where you can really kind of take your full-time role and make it be more entrepreneurial and take it in a direction that helps you grow that way. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're not necessarily looking for an escape. Sounds like you, for the most part, you enjoy what it is that you're doing. But again, you're just doing a hobby. You're just doing a project. So how long are you doing the I Like That Lamp site and blog and the Etsy shop before you were able to make the leap and do it full time? Yeah, so I started it in mid-2013. And it was, yeah, it was about March when I left my job. So it was kind of... So a little under two years or so. A little under two years. And I took the leap really before it was profitable enough to pay me a full-time 
wage. So I lined up some consulting clients as well before I left. So having done the e-commerce thing for a while now, I help other brand owners with their e-commerce presence and especially selling on Amazon is a really big opportunity and can be very confusing and difficult to be successful on that platform. So it was a little bit of consulting and a little bit of doing, taking I Like That Lamp to the next level. Gotcha. So like, what made you comfortable and confident enough to even make that leap in the first place? Because I think that's a question a lot of people have is, okay, I've, I've got my thing, it's going well, but I'm also doing this full-time thing. And I just, it gets to a point where like something has to give and I can't keep yes. doing two things full-time and sleep at night and have a life and just exist and breathe as a human. So what was kind of that tipping point for you where you felt like, okay, I feel like I can actually make the leap and I'm not going to die? Yeah. That's a big one. So you're totally right. At the end of my full-time job, I was very stretched. I had a lot of things going on. I had a full-time job. I had clients to deal with there. I had also been planning to leave my job for a while. So I'd been setting things up in terms of building my skills and building my marketable skills as a consultant before I left. And one of the things I was doing to get into that world was do an apprenticeship, basically, I sought out someone who was an Amazon consultant and we started talking and I offered to come on board and work with him to manage some of his client accounts to build my skills. And he knew that I wanted to eventually come in and do the same kind of thing as him, but he didn't see it necessarily as me becoming a competitor, Mm -hmm. but helping to develop the market and make sure that the other consultants out there were informed and doing the right thing and really took me on as essentially protege for a few months. So I was learning that skill set. I was running, I like that lamp. I was taking packages to the post office every day and waiting around for FedEx deliveries. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, towards the end, it was pretty hectic. Something had to give. I felt like at that point, I had enough marketable skills as a consultant to be able to pick up some work fairly quickly. But it was a big risk. I mean, it wasn't guaranteed that once I left my job, I would be able to pick up clients or that the business would keep growing. So there are no guarantees there. It just, I guess you've kind of got to be able to back yourself for a while and just on a more practical level, make sure that you have a bit of a cushion built up to give you yourself a little bit of runway in case of that worst case scenario. Right. Why did you decide to add the consulting piece into it to make the transition? Could you not just ramped up production or sales on the lamp side of it, but why the consulting piece? Yeah, that's a great question. Services are just the cash flow cycle of a service is completely different to the cash flow cycle of a physical product. Right. So with a service, typically you get paid up front for 100% of the work or a portion of it. So you're cash flow positive from day one. You're generating revenue before you even begin the work, right. hopefully. <laughs> but with the physical products business, it has just a longer turnaround time. So you have to buy the materials, buy the inputs. You might be importing products, for example. And then the whole time you're spending money on marketing, whether it's ads or content marketing or you're doing the work yourself, SEO, all those things take a, a while to turn around. And someone might finally buy your product, but it could be 
weeks, more likely months, especially when you're first getting started, to be able to turn your investment into cash, whereas services, you get paid the cash up front. So for me, having it gave me a little bit more comfort and the ability to sleep at night knowing that if times got tough, I could go out there and hustle and get a client and get paid the next day rather than waiting months to turn my inventory into revenue. And so you got that apprenticeship initially while you were still in the banking world? Yes. Mm-hmm. So for a little while, you're doing banking and the apprenticeship and starting to do some of your own consulting and doing just the lamp business itself. So it sounds like you've got one point, you've got a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. But I think that's a great point, though. I think that's so important that in reality, you made it. Part of the reason I like this is this is similar to what I did whenever I made the transition from mm. basically full-time employee to full-time speaker was I had like four or five different like part-time hodgepodge things that kind of worked together. And as my business grew, then I could back off one of them, you know? So it sounds like that's kind of what you did of, of, I'm going to do a bunch of these things. And then I get to a point where I can stop the banking thing, but I may be still doing some of the apprenticeship stuff and I'm still doing the consulting stuff and I'm still doing the lamp stuff. And then eventually I can stop doing the apprenticeship and then I'm just doing consulting and just doing lamp stuff. And maybe, are you still doing any consulting today? Okay, so yeah. you're still doing some of that. So, But there may come a time where maybe you don't want to do that until you can back mm-hmm. off that and just do the lamp stuff. But having and not just feeling like I'm putting all of my eggs in this basket and I hope this works. Otherwise, I'm really screwed. But I'm yeah. really kind of dividing up the risk there. And uh, again, mm-hmm. sounds like that may have been something that came back to some of your banking days. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, and to your point, it's very helpful if the things that you're working on are related in a way. Yeah. So for me, it's e-commerce. I know how to, at this point, I know how to sell things online, whether it's through my own store or Etsy or Amazon. Those things are all related. So the consulting work that I do is related to my own business. I think it becomes very challenging if the things that you've picked are very different. Right. Either they're serving different types of clients or different type of topic. You've got to find that common thread to be able to become an expert at something. I'm curious, whenever you started the Etsy shop, and it sounds like today much of your business is made of selling the lampshade kits. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So is that what you started with? Or were you selling like, you know, here's four types of lamps that I personally made and I just manufacture them from my place and I ship them out? Or how has the business kind of evolved of what it is that you're actually selling? Yeah, so I never sold my own handmade lamps and that was a conscious decision from the beginning because I had the hope at that time it wasn't founded but in thinking about what kind of business I wanted to run I didn't want to be a maker and I think that there's nothing wrong with wanting to make things with your hands and deliver custom products to people that are handmade that's a really a lot of people get a lot of reward out of doing that and there's a huge market for handmade goods. Mm -hmm. That just wasn't what I wanted to get into. I wanted to be able to have something that I could scale, which there was a product that facilitated someone else making their own thing. And part of that is the kits themselves, which the lampshade kit was my kind of flagship product when I started and still is now. So there's the kit itself, but then there is all the education that goes along with it, creating tutorials and showing people how to do this. I released a book recently about how to refurbish vintage lamps, so how to take all the exterior 
and the interior and rewire everything, which is kind of a scary concept for a lot of people. Yeah. But because you're kind of playing with electricity. <laughs> but, <laughs> which is typically frowned upon. <laughs> yeah. So breaking that kind of scary concept down for people and showing them, hey, all lamps are the same. They have the same four components. And as long as you know what a positive and neutral current is and how to identify them, then you're kind of you're good and you could just mix and match the different components that you want in there. But to take so part of the business is is not just the physical products, but it's the education of it. And that's, that's how people find me is through all the tutorials and content that we put out. What made you decide to do the customizable kits versus the I have four or five different lamps and these are ones that I've made and they're really, really popular and so I'll just keep producing these and selling these or different variations of those lamps. Why couldn't you just make your own rather than teaching someone how to make theirs? Yeah, so it kind of comes down to how much hours you have in the day and Mm -hmm. to make custom lamps for people, you know, maybe once you get really good at it, it might only take an hour or two and then you need to list it on Etsy, especially if they're custom and one of a kind, then you need to relist each individual lamp and sell it, photograph and do it in a different way. By selling kits and materials, you create the product and you photograph it once and you might create a lot more content around it like blog posts and videos and tutorials, but you're selling the same product to potentially thousands of people rather than individualized products to one person. So it's kind of It's a different business model and I would rather be in the position where I can come up with a a single product and figure out what the applications of it and test that rather than creating individual one-off custom pieces for people. Yeah, makes sense. I love it. Very cool. Well, I've got a couple other questions specifically about just DIY in general. I think there's a lot of people that listen to this and people are like, okay, I have my own type of projects or little side pastime hobbies. And I'm curious how I could maybe sell this on Etsy or make it a business. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. We're going to save that for the bonus round. And we'll talk a little bit more for people that may be interested in that subject or topic. But in the meantime, for people that are listening, that are like, I'm super fascinated by these lamps. And I need to check out this lampshade kit that she's got. Where can we find out more information and check out your blog? Yeah, my website is ilikethatlamp.com. It's a great domain. And is the is the lampshade kit information there? Yes, it's all there. Yeah, the blog, the tutorials, and all the products. I'm just pulling it up right now, and I'm looking at it. I may show this to my wife, and she may all of a sudden make a lamp. I don't. Have, I need a lamp in my office. That's what I need. I'm in my office. I'm looking around. I was like, I don't have any lamps. So I just got a. I got a light, and that just seems boring. But I feel like I feel I've, like she I've could make a cool. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. You started. <laughs> you started with a. Uh, very resistant lampshade DIY guy, but you've converted me. So well done. All right. So we will uh, hang out over in the bonus round and uh, talk a little bit more about DIY, how to build a business around that. So we will catch you over there. Sound good, Kiri? Perfect. Thank you. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Kiri Masters of ILikeThatLamp.com. A really great story there. Listen, this gal is making a full-time living 
playing with lamps, which is just crazy to me. She kind of even called me out on it there. Did you like that? But really good stuff. Really enjoyed hearing her story. Again, stop by, check out ilikethatlamp.com. Also, again, like we talked about at the end there, we teased to you, make sure you download the bonus material. You can find that over at grantbaldwin.com slash podcast. Go to this particular show notes page, or if you're listening to this on a phone or mobile device, just go right to the link at the top of the page or the bottom of the page, and you can download the uh, extra few minutes where Kiri and I talk about DIY business. So check that out. All right. I think that wraps up today's show. Boys and girls, thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate you. Dig ya. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review in iTunes. We love, love, love hearing from you, and we will catch you next time. Cheers. Hey, my friends, back here with my buddy Jordan Harbinger of Art of Charm Podcast. Jordan, when we had you on, we talked a lot about networking. And, and for people that are listening to the show who are really trying to figure out what it is that they want to do, such a big piece of that is connecting with other people maybe who are doing what they want to do. And they have the, like someone else has their dream job. So, all right, let's play this out. I've got my eye on someone who has my dream job. Like quick 30 seconds, like how do I connect with that person? Sure. So one of the best things you can do is reach out and compliment them on their the work that they're doing. So it might be tricky if you're like, hey, you're the chief facilities officer at Twitter. I really like your work. That might be a little tricky. But what you can also do is ask for a coffee meeting and, or an informational meeting. You can even offer to go to their office, bring coffee or forgo the coffee altogether. Because the point is you're not going to ask them for a job and you even say as much in the initial request. You just want to learn how somebody in your position might get to work in with someone like that in their position. And most people are very happy to do this. And I know some people are thinking, no, that would never work. That's ridiculous. I've done this with people who are higher level Silicon Valley types and people at bigger companies, law firms and other corporate environments. And it works excellent. Option B is to start a really big podcast and become internationally renowned, and then you can call anybody you want, generally. That's plan B. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks for the time, man. Definitely, I'd encourage everyone to stop by, check out Art of Charm. You can find that with an iTunes Stitcher, wherever you may be listening to this show or any show that you may be listening to. Stop by, check that out. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.